Hello, and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another sunny day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Marshall Butler, Head of Marketing and Property Management at the Country House Company. Marshall, hello. Hello. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. Um, we might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? I think the word leader has changed for me, actually, over the years that I've been working. And having been inspired by leaders in the past, now I'm leading a small team myself. I think a leader should be calm, confident, and consistent. I think it's had to change with the changing generations that have come up through. Now tell me, uh, are there particular challenges involved in managing a small team as opposed to a larger one? I think so. I mean, the team that I, the first team that I've managed is this small team that I manage at the moment. But having worked in much larger teams, I can see the challenges are completely different. And I think when you've got a small team and you've got different ages in the team, then you've got to accommodate everybody's personalities and everybody's, you know, strengths and weaknesses. And they're far more apparent in a small team than in a large team where you you sort of you sort of have to leave from the front in a large team, whereas with a small team you have to be part of very much part of the team as well and work with them. So it very much has to do with proximity. You're you're amongst them, so you must work within them as opposed to uh, in front of them. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely vital. And and I think that's changed over the years, actually. And I know there's a tendency in all companies nowadays to the sort of open plan office. And there was a while ago when everybody said, my door's always open and you can always come through it. Now, actually, we work in an open plan office. I can hear everything that's going on. Everybody can hear the work that I'm doing. We discuss everything that's happening. And I... I just feel that that's vital. I mean, a, a team leader has to be somebody that you can rely on. You're not going to be everybody's best friend, but everybody can approach you at some stage. So I think, yeah, working open plan with the teams, everybody's doing their different jobs within the team. And I'm doing my own role within the company. And part of that role is leading the team. But you have to be working with them. And uh, yeah, I think being working with them on the, on the sort of, the floor is really important. Now, we touched on it earlier about a generational difference within the workforce. What are the greatest challenges uh, facing you uh, with the emerging workforce that we have today? I think that's the most fascinating part of it, actually. And I can see a real difference in the generation that's coming up now. We've got a couple of younger people that are working with us. And what has amazed me is they slightly come with a sense of entitlement and that they want to, they're very ambitious and that's fantastic, but they also are very aware of all their rights and everything else, which is all equally good, but that slight sort of entitlement that I can do this, I can do that, I can rise to the top. And I think the best way to harness that, because the enthusiasm is fantastic, is to give them empowerment, give them the training, give them the wherewithal to do the job that they want to do really, really well. So I see the newer, younger people that come up through and everybody needs new people coming into the office. And and I think the younger people have got so much to offer with their understanding of technology and social media for us is really important. 
but it's explaining to them, absolutely explaining to them what the company is all about, the ethos of the company, where we're hoping to go as a company, so they can see their role within that and then train them, train them, train them, give them that confidence to run with the enthusiasm they've got. Then they can see where they're part of a small, that's where a small team's ideal, but then they can see where they're part of it, how it can work, how they can progress and how the team can do well. So I, I think having younger people on board is fantastic, actually. What's the first piece of advice that you usually give one of these young people? Uh, I would say enjoy what you're doing. It, I know it's crap to say nowadays, but you know, if you're happier, you work better. Of course, everybody we want everybody to be happy, but this is a job the job that we do and it's in the property industry you can get huge satisfaction out of it you're working with people all the time so it's an interesting industry to be in it's a dynamic industry to be in it's changing constantly so it is an environment in which you can enjoy it you're only going to enjoy it if you know exactly what you're doing and you're confident with what you're doing so we're going to give you excellent training Listen hard to the training and get the very best out of this because ideally we hope you're going to stay with us for a long time. But if you're not going to, then you're going to go on and do other great things in the industry. So by getting as much out of the job as you can, you'll be giving us a lot as well. So I think that's the advice I'd give them actually. Enjoy it. You're going to be spending a lot of your, you know, a huge percentage of your life at work. Get the very best out of it. Put the very best into it and then everybody will do well. And of course, uh, the Country House Company is in a very interesting subsector of the property market dealing uh, with rural properties. Do you find uh, that you get an interesting group of people who wish to specialize on this? Or do you find that it's similar to any other part of the property industry? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, some would accuse it of being a fairly rarefied sector. I don't think it is. I mean, we operate in the south of England, so, you know compared to the whole property industry. We're a very small section of it. But residential letting is hugely important. And, you know, there's going to there's already a rise in the number of people renting houses and that's going to carry on and on and on. And the so the legislation that surrounds that, the change in all our procedures and everything else is hugely important. So I think you know, effectively we operate out of a small corner in the south of England but we're reflective of the bigger part of the industry and lettings is always going to be very important. Do you see a change coming in the property sector over uh, the next few years following Brexit or do you think things will remain much the same? Well, I listened to a really interesting talk on this a few years ago, and it's something that we think about. I mean, Brexit has obviously dominated everything, and it has had a huge effect on the property industry. But somebody said quite a few years ago, and I think they're going to be proved to be right, that in fact, Brexit is a... It's not, it's not a blip, it's a huge thing. But in fact, the thing that's going to shape the next generation and the challenges for the next generation, both business-wise and um, the workforce-wise, is the rise in technology. And that has had a huge effect on us. So, yes, Brexit's had an effect. It stalled the market for a while. It, it you know, it distracted everybody and, you know, at, at our very basic level. And, frankly, we're, we're a small company in the overall scheme of things. But, yes, it did have a profound effect because everybody was so uncertain. 
And so the market was completely stalled. Now we are where we are. We're seeing a huge increase and we're much busier. And that's fantastic that some confidence has come into the market. But overall, Brexit won't be the thing that defines this generation or our progress. What's going to define it is the fact that Far more people are going to have to rent than ever rented before. So the legislation around lettings and rental is going to be really, really important. And also the rise in technology is going to have a profound effect on this generation. The availability of jobs is going to give a lot more emphasis on the service industry, which will always be needed. I think it's going to be fascinating. So, yes, Brexit's had an effect, but it's not going to be the be-all and end-all. Now, unfortunately, we're running quite close to time. But before I let you go, what is in store for the Country House Company in the next 12 months? Oh, well, <laughs> consolidating on the plans that we put into place. I think everybody knows there's been a lot of legislation that came in in 2019. We've had the tenant fees ban that's come in and some other legislation that's come around. So we put all our plans in um, place ready for 2020. We've always been convinced that 2020 and this decade is the start of a really good decade in lettings particularly and in property. So for us, consolidating the plans that we've done and um, running with all the opportunities that are ahead of us, it's a very exciting time. Well, I'd very much like to thank you for joining us on the show today, Michelle. It's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. I very much look forward to speaking with you again on the podcast soon. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was, that was Marichelle Butler, Head of Marketing and Property Development in the Country House Company. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're joined uh, today by uh, David Blunkett, Lord Blunkett, former Home Secretary, former Education Secretary. David, thank you very much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Uh, it's always a pleasure, but uh, since we are talking around the theme of leadership, it would be a remiss of me if we didn't start with the leadership election going on in the Labour Party. Apart from, I'm sure you're delighted that a certain someone is leaving a post. What are your thoughts on it so far? Well, I think the... Party membership are going to make a very clear decision. Uh, are they in, in the stands watching or are they on the pitch playing? And if they want to play, then the two candidates that are in for the future are Lisa Nandy and Keir Starmer. I'm personally backing Lisa because I think she's a brave woman with a tremendous amount to give. She's got really good, positive ideas. I like them because they're about building from the community rather than command and control from the centre. They're about a new form of social democracy and socialism rather than trying to replicate a failed past. And she can reach out to people that others can't. So I'm, I'm giving her my backing. I think Keir Starmer is very professional, mm. very able, and presents extremely well. And I, I hope that one of those two... Uh, actually come through in the election on the 4th of April. Uh, there has been a lot of criticism, especially from uh, four uh, candidates a little further left um, than them, who've criticised even the last Labour uh, uh, government as being part of 40 years of Thatcherism. Yes, I think it's really unfortunate, uh, particularly when new MPs come in having seen large swathes of their colleagues lose their seat, uh, to roll up the 13 years of Labour government 
with everything that I'm so proud of. I mean, I, we, we were not neoliberals or anything like it. We were able, in the first 10 years certainly, uh, which I played a part in, to be able to turn the economy around, to invest in health and education, to be able to transform people's aspirations and their hopes for the the future. And that included ensuring people got the minimum wage, which we never had before, Sure start to nurture youngsters from the most moment they were born, transformation in the quality of education. And all these things actually add up to helping people to improve and change their lives for the better. And anyone who thinks that's not good and that isn't a government to be proud of needs to answer the question, what chivalet is it that you would want that would actually have done more to change those lives? I can think of two or three myself in terms mm. of uh, dramatically taking on uh, inequality, although half a million children were taken out of poverty in those years. I could think of being even tougher on crime, even though I was dubbed as one of the tougher home secretaries because the people that I cared about most were, on the whole, not exclusively, but mainly the victims of crime. I can think about taking on the very, very rapidly growing transnational power of the big tech companies, which we still need to work through in terms of how we do that from a, a single nation just off the coast of Europe, and how we work internationally without getting caught up in wars we don't want to be involved in, but how, how are we international in a way that ensures that we play our part in making a better life for humanity as a whole rather than disengaging and becoming alien from the rest of the world. Those are big questions for the social democratic left, particularly with artificial intelligence and robotics changing the world of work forever, I think, in the next 20 years. Uh, an ageing population. Labour got 18% of the over-65 vote in the general election. Just 18%. It's staggeringly... It's extraordinary. Staggeringly bad. Um, and and climate change, which we all know is going to be either a big gain or a terrific political trauma. We've got to take people with us. No matter uh, which political party it is, the changes that will occur in this decade especially will determine their future ideologies, certainly. And sp speaking of your time uh, as Home Section in government, um, you worked with so many different individuals of all political stripes and none at all. Is there someone, and on the theme of leadership, that stands out to you that embodies some of those qualities you described earlier? Yes, I mean, I, it's on the theme of bottom-up, it was some of the most inspiring uh, head teachers and classroom teachers who, in really, really difficult circumstances, were actually transforming the life chances of children by inspiring those children to want to learn, to, if you like, lighting a candle inside them, uh, giving them a, a, a window on the world, which created an inquiring mind and an understanding that the world was their oyster, that they could do things with support. My, my philosophy has always been mutuality and reciprocity. We, we need mutuality to support each other. We need reciprocity in terms of understanding that we don't just take, we, we give a lot as well. And I suppose that really comes down to uh, if you're prepared to do something for yourself, we're prepared to do something to help you. And that's fundamentally in education, but it is in all sorts of walks of life as well. So you can have innovation, you can have entrepreneurship and creativity in, in business, you can have the way in which people turn things around 
for themselves, small businesses have done that, the contribution to uh, new ways of doing things, of thinking differently about our economy. Th those are all grit to the mill. Those are the things we need to do. And we can do them together. It's not that you're on the side of the devil if you're an entrepreneur or you're on the side of the angels if you work in public services. We, we are mm. dependent on each other. Uh, you can't have one without the other. Yes. Um, and I think to coin a term, uh, uh, extraordinary, ordinary people, and especially when it comes to giving your answer, David, to uh, teachers, to carers, people that honestly don't get the recognition they deserve on a day-to-day -day basis. And without them, half of society wouldn't function. Completely. I, I call it civil society, which functions even when government isn't functioning. It's, what, it's the glue that holds things together. It's people working and living and having their being together and recognising that they are dependent on each other. I, I've obviously met incredibly inspiring leaders in a different vein. I was very fortunate to have met Nelson Mandela three times. Uh, I met Bill Clinton a number of times, both of whom, in very, very different ways, were inspiring leaders. I've met people in leadership positions who couldn't take a decision to save their lives. Uh, Tony Blair famously said in the, his conference speech the year before he stood down as Prime Minister, and I, I knew exactly what he meant. He said the worst ministers are those who won't take decisions, and anyone in a leadership role needs to A, know why they're there, what they intend to do with the uh, authority mm. that goes with being a leader and a manager, and then how to draw people in as a team to be able to implement it so that it's a team approach. It's not someone out on a white charger. It's someone who can mobilise, motivate, provide incentives for people to feel that they're part of the solution as well. Uh, and I think whether it's politics, whether it's business, whether it's sport, it's exactly those qualities that you need to succeed in any of them. Yes, it is. And if people recognise that and they have a clear idea themselves, they, they have and build, because you can't build, leadership qualities, they know how to manage their own time and their own emotions because we all, from time to time, feel like really losing our temper and... I don't pretend for a minute over the years <laughs> that, that I haven't. How, how to control your own feelings and emotion and how to bring the best out in other people's. How, how you work out that people who are really good don't threaten you, they compliment you. People who have complementary skills to you are really valuable. And I suppose the ability to listen, not just for its own sake, mm -hmm. but to listen because you are conglomerating, I suppose you would call it plagiarising, thoughts, ideas, ways forward from everyone around you. I often think that um, football managers wouldn't do too bad a job if they actually talked to the fans after the game. Well, everyone <laughs> knows, uh, David, you know, you're a big Sheffield Wednesday fan. It I know. can't be easy having to hear the it, praise of Chris Wilder and Sheffield United every week after No, week. I, it isn't, although it's damn good for Sheffield, so I'm being a bit magnanimous at the moment. That's very good about of you. Sheffield United in the Premier League, because it, it, it does change. It lifts the image of the city internationally. If you're Not just because it's Sheffield United, but because if you're playing Liverpool uh, and you're playing Man City then that's a global audience. You're immediately beamed across the world. So that's good. I, I, I could cry sometimes. We can, we can beat uh, Brighton, Premier League side, in the FA Cup at Brighton. We can 
beat Leeds at Leeds. I was there when we beat them 2-0 in January. And then you can lose 5-0. And then five you lose 5-0 yeah. at home to Blackburn and half the fans were out of the ground by, by half-time. What, what would a manager blanket say in this situation? I, I would have asked myself a very simple question. What went wrong with motivating those players so that when they came out on the field... They walked instead of ran. They didn't have any of the passion they'd had the week before at Leeds. They showed no drive and incentive to take hold of the game. What, what went wrong with the same players who'd played very well the week previously? And if you could answer that question, and there may have, something may have happened. Who knows? Something during the morning before the game started. Something may have gone sour. You get the answer to that question, and you then start to ensure that we never, never do this again. Yeah, well, I'm a Chelsea fan, so I'm beginning to feel your pain at the minute. Um, <laughs> but I would like to pick up on another point you just made, actually, David, about choosing a strong team, people that compliment you. A lot of criticism that uh, Theresa May got as Prime Minister was that she tended not to pick, perhaps, the more ambitious, the more... Uh, 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 People, uh, uh, ministers that might well challenge her. One of Boris Johnson's, for all his faults, uh, he has been said in the past, he's a man that picks people that are good at their briefs. Do you agree with that? Well, I'll reserve judgment on that until I see the outcome of the reshuffle, which, as we record this podcast, has not yet happened. Mm. And I imagine, I, I would be very surprised if he didn't have quite a brutal reshuffle not just to get people in who he likes, but people who are going to be really sparky and able and clear at doing the job because you can have all the best ideas in the world. You can pronounce on what you're going to do, but if you haven't got leaders in those departments prepared to do it, if they're just toadies, by the way, and there is a tendency, a new mm-hmm. prime minister, large majority, got to be very careful that you don't pick people because you're receiving the echo of your own voice uh, when you're speaking to them. But get able people in. I, w- I won't comment on some of the less able, but there are <laughs> clearly in the cabinet as I speak at the moment people who are really just not up to it. I mean, incidentally, anyone who won't be cross-examined by decent journalists on the BBC, changed their minds recently about mm. Sky, <clears throat> isn't worth their salt. If... But part of being cross-questioned is to demonstrate to yourself that you've got a grasp of your brief, that you believe in it, and that you can persuade people of it. And if you can't do that under real cross-examination rather than sitting on the sofa for Mm. an easy morning television programme, get out of the business. You know, don't don't do it. Without a doubt. Yeah. Uh, that's, and also, I should add, that is how uh, Lisa All Stripes earn that respect in the first place. But there is a question, isn't I'm there? I'm trying to answer the questions. That's, <laughs> that's what I always try to answer the or questions. Or be very good at avoiding them. Either way. Um, oh, well, the, the way of avoiding them is to take it head on and say, I'm, I'm not going to answer that question. Explain why. Quite. Uh, <laughs> the, um, and I think one of the great things about uh, the Lise Castle especially is that um, it takes and talks to people again, from all different backgrounds, leading something very different, whether it's a charity, whether it's a business, whether it's in politics. There comes points, though, and David, you must have experienced this, whether it's leading Sheffield City Council or as Home Secretary. When people are looking at you for leadership, where do you get your strength from? 
I think there's something inside all of us. There's a tenacity, there's a, an ambition, there's a desire to get things done, to make a difference inside you, whether you're in public service, the charities, or you're driving a business that actually says, this is why I get up in the morning. So you've got to have something internal to yourself. The, the second is the satisfaction you get back because you do from seeing things change for the better. You, you can take pride without being egotistical. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you do and to want to do it even better. And that's why you need both sharp minds around you. In my case, it was special advisors as, as well as ministers. I pretty well picked my ministers. Sometimes Tony asked me to take people who I was a little bit iffy about and we had to meld people into the team. I was able to pick all my own special advisors and that really did make a difference. Mm. But in, in the end, you've got to like what you're doing. I mean, the, the, the people who are un, unhappy in their skin, they, they, it's very difficult to perform if you're in the wrong business or in the wrong department of a business or if you're really hating teaching or in politics, you... You're just in the wrong department. I was very lucky because education and employment were my first loves in terms of what I wanted to do, and I got the job for four years. I'd then come to the conclusion that there were really big challenges for us. It turned out even bigger than I expected with the attack on the World Trade Center mm. three months after I became Home Secretary. But the big challenges of security, of reducing crime, of dealing with the development of positive citizenship, which also had a readover in terms of immigration, the kind of things that change people's lives either for the better or the worse. And you don't get everything right. That's the other thing you've got to recognise, which is why being part of a broader team, being able to take criticism but not always accept it <laughs> because otherwise you blow with the wind, that, that, that's the, the measure and I think if we can share those traits, those experiences, those different elements through the Leadership Council, if we can get people from very, very different leadership managerial roles and delivery roles to actually be able to share that experience, everyone will gain something from it because that dialogue will inform, it will avoid people reinventing the wheel it will take people a lot further than the, the niche, for good or ill, the niche that they're in at the moment. Um, David, in the, very, uh, in the couple of minutes we have left, um, I will be mean and put you on the spot and ask you for predictions perhaps in three things. What will happen in the Labour Leadership Contest? How will the next few months go for the government after Brexit? Uh, well, after we leave the European Union on the 31st of January? And where will Sheffield... Wednesday finish in the league? Lord above. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure which is the most difficult of those <laughs> questions. I, I've already in, indicated where my support is for the, the Labour leadership. If we take it at the end of January 2020, Keir Starmer has clearly got, a, got off to a very, very um, strong start. I think, however, it will be very much down to who can reach... Those parts of the Labour Party membership that came in on the back of Jeremy Corbyn's election in 2015 to that post, who can be persuaded that 
what they want to see and the change, the big changes they'd like to enact can only be brought about in any form if we win and we win back the people, the tragic loss of people on our side uh, mm. in December 2019. Uh, and that, that's got to be Lisa Nandi or, or Kia. On, on the, um, the, the next few months... I think that the government will probably do quite well. I, I, I think that there are real dangers ahead in just having 11 months to negotiate trade deals, especially with bellicose pronouncements about we're not going to have alignment, as though alignment in itself is a bad thing when some of it will be very good. So I think there are dangers, but I think there's quite a bit of momentum going with the government at the moment, and that will be reflected in relationships in doing deals in Europe and facing outwards to the rest of the world. Sheffield Wednesday, God help me. I mean, you know, how is it that two of the things that are most important to me, other than my family and loved ones, is football and and politics? I think Sheffield Wednesday will be hard-pressed now to get into the playoffs. If we do, I think we could pull it off. But I am really reluctant. And I think on that prediction, your reputation will be judged. Lord Blunkett, thank you very much for joining us today. God bless you, Jonathan. (laughs) This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland its parent company, or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.